The Go Radio Network, in conjunction with BlogTalkRadio.com, presents The Comedy Shack. Greetings and salutations to you. I'm Joy Harris, and thank you for joining me this week. For those listening live or later on demand via Bluetooth or headphones, in your car or on your computer, notebook, netbook, tablet, or phone, I'm honored that you join me for this show. You know, every week... Our numbers continue to grow, and that's all because of you all. Let's continue to grow the show. Tell a friend about the Comedy Shack, and as always, contact me on Twitter at TheJoeyHairs, and you can email me, JoeyHairsComedy at gmail.com. How was your week? Did you have a good week? My week was pretty good. You know, I feel like there are bigger and better things happening every day for me. I've got an even bigger week coming up this week, but I may talk a little bit about that later on. But it is time for our first segment of the show, which I always enjoy bringing to you. It is our joke of the week. So, there's a man crawling through the desert. He decided to try his SUV and a little bit of cross-country travel had great fun zooming over the badlands and through the sand, got lost, hit a rock, and then he couldn't get it started again. There were no cell phone towers anywhere near, so a cell phone was useless. He had no family. His parents had died a few years before in an auto accident, and his few friends had no idea he was out here. He stayed with the car for a day or so, but his one bottle of water ran out, and he was getting thirsty. He thought maybe he knew the direction back now that he'd paid attention to the sun and thought he'd figure out which way was north, so he decided to start walking. He figured he only had to go about 30 miles or so, and he'd be back to the small town he'd gotten gas in last. He thinks about walking at night to avoid the heat and the sun, but based upon how dark it was, it actually was the night before, Given that he has no flashlight, he's afraid that he'll break a leg or step on a rattlesnake. So he puts on some sunblock, puts the rest of this in his pocket for reapplication later, brings an umbrella he'd had in the back of the SUV with him to, to give him a little shade, pours, his wind, pours the windshield wiper fluid into his water bottle in case he gets that desperate, brings his pocket knife in case he finds a cactus that looks like it might have water in it, and heads out in the direction he thinks is right. He walks for the entire day. By the end of the day, he's really thirsty. He's been sweating all day, and his lips are starting to crack. He's reapplied the sunblock twice and tried to stay under the umbrella, but he still feels sunburned. The windshield wiper fluid sloshing in the bottle in his pocket is really getting tempting now. He knows that it's mainly water with some ethanol and coloring, but he also knows that they add some kind of poison to it to keep people from drinking it. He wonders what the poison is and whether the poison would be worse than dying of thirst. He pushes on, trying to get to that small town before dark. By the end of the day, he starts to get worried. He's figured he's been walking at least three miles an hour, according to his watch, for over ten hours. That means that if his estimate was right, that he should be close to, to the town but he doesn't recognize any of this. He had to cross a dry creek creek bed a mile or two back, and he doesn't remember coming through it in the SUV. He figures that maybe he got his direction off just a little and that the dry creek bed was just off to one side of his path. He tells himself that he is close and that after dark, he'll start seeing the town lights over one of these hills, and that'll be all he needs. As it gets dim enough, that he starts stumbling over the small rocks and things. He finds the spot, sits down to wait for full dark and the town lights. Full dark comes before he knows it. He must have dozed off. He stands back up and turns all the way around. He sees nothing but stars. He wakes up the next morning feeling absolutely lousy. His eyes are gummy and his mouth and nose feel like they're full of sand. He's so thirsty that he can't even swallow. He barely got any sleep because it was so cold. He'd forgotten how cold it got. 
at night in the desert and hadn't noticed it the night before because he'd been in his car. He knows the rule of threes. Three minutes without air, three days without water, three weeks without food, then you die. Some people can make it a little longer in the best situations, but the desert heat and having to walk and sweat isn't the best situation to be without water. He figures, unless he finds water, this is his last day. He rinses his mouth out with a little of the windshield wiper fluid. He waits a while after spitting that little bit out to see if his mouth goes numb, or he feels dizzy or something. Has his mouth gone numb? Is it just in his mind? He's not sure. He'll go a little farther, and if he still doesn't find water, he'll try drinking some of the fluid. Then he has to face his next harder question. Which way does he go from here? Does he keep walking the same way he was yesterday, assuming that he still knows which way that that is, or does he try a new direction? He has no idea what to do. Looking at the hills and dunes around him, he thinks he knows the direction he was headed before. Just going by a feeling, he points himself somewhat to the left of that and starts walking. As he walks, the day starts heating up. The desert, too cold just a couple hours before, soon becomes an oven again. He sweats a little at first and then stops. He starts getting worried at that. When he stops sweating, he knows that means you're in trouble, usually right before the heat stroke. He decides that it's time to try the windshield wiper fluid. He can't wait any longer. If he passes out, he's dead. He stops in the shade of a large rock, takes the bottle out, opens it, and takes a mouthful. He slowly swallows it, making it last as long as he can. It feels so good in his dry and cracked throat that he doesn't even care about the nasty taste. He takes another mouthful and makes it last too. Slowly, he drinks half of the bottle. He figures that since he's drinking it, he might as well drink enough to make some difference and keep himself from passing out. He's quit worrying about the, the nature of the wiper fluid. If it kills him, it kills him. If he didn't drink it, he'd die anyway. Besides, he's pretty sure that whatever substance they denature it with, the fluid with, is just designed to make you sick. Their way of keeping winos from buying cheap wiper fluid for the ethanol content. He can handle throwing up if it comes to that. He walks. He walks in the hot, dry, windless desert. Sand, rocks, hills, dunes, the occasional scrawny cactus or dried bush. No sign of water. Sometimes he'll see a little movement to one side or the other, but whatever removed is usually gone before he can focus his eyes upon it. Probably birds, lizards, or mice. Maybe snakes, though they usually move more at night. He's careful to stay away from the movements. After a while, he begins to stagger. He's not sure of his fatigue, heat stroke, finally catching him, or maybe he was wrong in the denaturing of the white fool that's worse than he thought. He tries to steady himself and keep going. After more walking, he comes to a large stretch of land. This is good. He knows that he's passed over a stretch of sand in the SUV. He remembers doing donuts in it, or at least he thinks he remembers it. He's getting woozy enough and tired enough that he's not sure what he remembers anymore or if he's hallucinating. But he thinks he remembers it, so he heads off into it, trying to get to the other side, hoping that it gets him closer to the town. He was heading for a town, wasn't he? He thinks he was. He isn't sure anymore. He's not even sure how long he's been walking anymore. Is it still morning? Or has it moved into afternoon and the sun is going down again? It must be afternoon. It seems like it's been too long since he started out. He walks through the sand. After a while, he comes to a big dune in the sand. This is bad. He doesn't remember any dunes when driving over the sand in his SUV or at least he doesn't think he remembers any. This is bad. But he has no other direction to go. Too late to turn back now. He figures that he'll get to the top of the dune and see if he can see anything from there that helps him find the town. He keeps going up to the dune. Halfway up, he slips in the bed footing of the sand for the second or third time and falls to his knees. He doesn't feel like getting back up. He'll just fall down so he keeps going up to the dune on his hands and knees. While crawling, if his throat weren't so dry, he'd laugh. He's finally gotten to the hackneyed image of a man lost in the desert, 
crawling through the sand on clothes were more ragged on his hands and knees. It would be the perfect image, he imagines, if only his clothes were more ragged. People crawling through the desert in the cartoon always had ragged clothes, but it have lasted without any rip so far. Somebody will probably find his desiccated corpse half buried in the same years from now, and his clothes will still be in fine shape. Shake the sand out in a good wash, and they'll be wearable again. He wishes his throat were wet enough to laugh. He coughs a little bit instead, and it hurts. He finally makes it to the top of the sand dune. Now that he's at the top, he struggles a little, but manages to stand up and look around. All he sees is sand, sand, and more sand. Behind him, about a mile away, he thinks he sees the rocky ground he left to head into the sand. Ahead of him, more dunes, more sand. This isn't where he drove his SUV. This is hell, or close enough. Again, he doesn't know what to do. He decides to drink the rest of the white fluid while figuring it out. He takes out the bottle and is removing the cap when he glances to the side and sees something. Something in the sand. At the bottom of the dune, off to the side, he sees something strange. It's a flat area in the sand. He stops taking the cap of the bottle off and tries to look closer. The area seems to be circular, and it's dark, darker than the sand. And there seems to be something in the middle of it, but he can't tell what it is. He looks as hard as he can and still can tell from here. He's going to have to go down there and look. He puts the bottle back in his pocket and starts to stumble down the dune. After a few steps, he realizes that he's in trouble. He's not going to be able to keep his balance. After a couple more sliding, tottering steps, he falls and starts to roll down the dune. The sand is so hot when his body hits it that for a minute he thinks he's caught, his, caught fire on the way down like a movie car wreck flashing in the flames as it goes over the cliff. Before it ever hits the ground, he closes his eyes and mouth, covers his face with his hands, and waits to stop rolling. He stops. At the bottom of the dune, after a minute or two, he finds enough energy to try to sit up and get the sand out of his face and clothes. When he clears his eyes enough, he looks around to make sure that the dark spot in the sand is still there, and he hadn't just imagined it. So, Seeing the large, flat, dark spot on the ground is still there, he begins to crawl towards it. He gets up and walks towards it, but he doesn't seem to have the energy to get up and walk right now. He must be in the final stages of dehydration, he figures, as he crawls. If this place in the sand doesn't have water, he'll likely never make it anywhere else. This is his last chance. He gets closer and closer, but still can't see what's in the middle of the dark area. His eyes won't quite focus anymore for some reason, and lifting his head up to look takes so much effort that he gives up trying. He just keeps crawling. Finally, he reaches the area he'd seen from the dune. It takes him a minute of crawling on it before he realizes that he's no longer on sand. He's now crawling on some kind of dark stone, stone with some kind of marking on it, a pattern cut into the stone. He's too tired to stand up and try to see what the pattern is, so he just keeps crawling. He crawls towards the center, where his blurry eyes still see something in the middle of a dark stone area. His mind, detached in a strange way, notes that either his hands and knees are so burnt by the sand that they no longer feel pain, or this dark stone in the middle of a burning desert with a pounding, punishing sun overhead doesn't seem to be hot. It almost feels cool. He considers lying on the nice, cool surface. Cool, dark sun. Not a good sign. He must be hallucinating this. He's probably in the middle of a patch of sand, already lying face down and dying, and just imagining this whole thing. A desert image. Soon the beautiful women carrying pitchers of water will come up and start giving him a drink. Then he'll know he's gone. He decides against lying down in the cool stone. If he's going to die here in the middle of this hallucination, he at least wants to see what's in the center before he goes. He keeps crawling. It's the third time that he hears the voice before he realizes that he what he's hearing. He would swear that someone just said, Greetings, traveler. You do not look well. Do you hear me? He stops crawling. He tries to look up from where he is on his hands and knees, but it's too much effort to lift his head, so he tries something different. He leans back and tries to sit up on the stone. After a few seconds, he catches his balance 
avoids falling on his face, sits up and tries to focus his eyes. Blurry, he rubs his eyes with the back of his hands and tries again. Better this time. Yep, he can see he's sitting in the middle of a large, flat, dark expanse of stone. Directly next to him, about three feet away, is a white post or pole about two inches in diameter and sticking up about four or five feet out of the stone at an angle. And wrapped around this white rod, tall, tail with rattle on it, hovering and seeming to be ready to start rattling, is what must be a 15-foot-long desert diamond rattlesnake looking directly at him. He stares at the snake in shock. He doesn't have the energy to get up and run away. He doesn't have the energy to crawl away. This is it. His final resting place. No matter what happens, he's not going to be able to move from this spot. Well, at least dying of a bite from this monster should be quicker than dying of thirst. He'll face his end like a man. He struggles to sit up a little straighter. The snake keeps watching. He lifts one hand and waves it the snake's direction, feebly. The snake watches the hand for a moment, then goes back to watching the man looking into his eyes. Hmm, maybe the snake had no interest in biting him. It hadn't rattled yet. That was a good sign. Maybe he wasn't going to die of snake bite after all. He then remembers that he looked up when he reached the center here because he thought he'd heard a voice. He was still very wheezy. He was likely to pass out soon. The sun still beating down on him even though he was now on the cold stone. He still didn't have anything to drink, but maybe he had actually heard a voice. This stone didn't look natural, nor did that white post sticking up out of the stone. Someone had to have built this. Maybe. They were still nearby. Maybe that's what, who was talking to him. Maybe this snake was even their pet, and that's why it wasn't biting. He tried to clear his throat to say hello, but his throat was too dry. All that comes out of the coughing or wheezing sound. There's no way he's going to be able to talk without something to drink. He feels his pocket, and the bottle of wiper pool is still there. He shakily pulls the bottle out, almost losing his balance in the back in the process. This isn't good. He doesn't have much time left. By his reckoning, before he passes out, he gets the lid off the bottle, manages to get the bottle to his lips, and pours some of the fluid into his mouth. He sloshes it around and then swallows. He coughs a little. His throat feels better. Maybe now he can talk. He tries again, ignoring the snake. He turns to look around him, hoping to spot the owner of this place, and croaks out, Hello? Is there anyone here? He hears from his side, Greetings. What is it that you want? He turns his head back towards the snake. That's where the sound has seemed to come from. The only thing is he can think of is that there must be a speaker hidden under the snake or maybe built into the post. He decides to try asking for help. Please, he croaks, suddenly feeling dizzy. I'd love to not be thirsty anymore. I've been a long time without water. Can you help me? Looking in the direction of the snake, hoping to see where the voice was coming from this time, he is shocked to see the snake rear back, open its mouth, and speak. He hears it say as the dizziness overtakes him and he falls forward, first, face first on the sun. Very well, coming up. A piercing pain shoots through his shoulder. Suddenly he is awake. He sits up and grabs his shoulder, wincing as the throbbing pain. Momentarily disoriented as he looks around, and then he remembers. The crawl across the sand, the dark area of stone, the snake. He sees the state, still wrapped around the tilted white post, still looking at it. He reaches up and feels his shoulder where it hurts. It feels slightly wet. He pulls his fingers away and looks at them, blood. He feels his shoulder again. His shirt has what feels like two holes in it, two puncture holes. They match up with the two aching spots of pain on his shoulders. He had been bitten by the snake. It'll feel better in a minute. He looks up. It's the snake talking. He hadn't dreamed it. Suddenly, he notices he's not dizzy anymore. More importantly, he's not thirsty anymore at all. Have I died? Is this the afterlife? Why are you biting me in the afterlife? Sorry about that, but I had to bite you. 
says to me. That's the way I work. It all comes through the bite. Think of it as natural medicine. You bit me to help me? Why aren't I thirsty anymore? Did you give me a drink before you bit me? How did I drink enough falling conscious not to be thirsty anymore? I haven't had a drink in over two days. Well, except for the windshield wiper fluid. Hold it. How in the world does a snake talk? Are you real? Are you some sort of Disney animation? No, says the snake. I'm real. As real as you or anyone is anyway. I didn't give you a drink. I bit you. That's how it works. It's what I do. I bite. I don't have hands to give you a drink. Even if I had water just sitting around here. The man sat stunned for a minute. Here he was, sitting in the middle of the desert on some strange stone that should be hot, but wasn't, talking to a snake that could talk back and had just bitten it, and he felt better. Not great, he was still starving and exhausted, but much better. He was no longer thirsty. He had started to sweat again, but only slightly. He felt hot in this sun, but it was starting to get lower in the sky, and the cool stone beneath him was a relief. He could notice how that he was no longer dying of thirst. I might suggest that we take care of that methanol in you now. You now have an assistant with the next request, continued the snake. I can guess why you drink it, but I'm not sure how much you drink or how much the methanol was left in the wiper fluid. That stuff is nasty. It'll make you go blind in a day or two if you drink enough of it. Um, ne next request, said the man. He put his hand back in his hurting shoulder and backed away from the snake a little. That's the way it works, if you like, that is, explained the snake. You get free requests. Call them wishes, if you wish. The snake grinned at his own joke, and the man drew back a little further from the show of things. But there are rules, the snake continued. The first request is free. The second requires an agreement of secrecy. The third requires the binding of responsibility. The snake looked at the man seriously. By the way, the snake said something. My name is Nathan. Old Nathan, you used to call me. He gave me the name. Before that, most of the bound used to just call me Snake, but that got old. And Samuel wouldn't stand for it. He said anything that could talk needed a name. He was big into names. You can call me Nate if you wish. Again, the snake grinned. Sorry if I don't offer to shake, but I think you can understand. My shake sounds somewhat threatening. The snake gave his rattle a little shake. Um, my name is Jack, said the man trying to absorb all this. Jack Sampson. Can I ask you a question, Jack said suddenly. What happened to the poison um, in your body? Why aren't I dying? How did you do that? What do you mean by that's how you work? That's more than one question, Rand Snake, but I'll still try to answer all of them. First, yes, you can ask me a question. The snake grins and gets wider. Second, the poison is in you. It changed you. You now no longer need to drink. That's what you asked for. Oh, well, technically you asked to not be thirsty anymore. But anymore is such a vague term, I decided to make it permanent. Now, as long as you live, you shouldn't need to drink much at all. Your body will conserve water very efficiently. You should be able to get enough just from the food you eat, much like a creature of the desert. You've been changed. For the third question, you are still dying. Besides the effect of that methanol in your system, you're a man, and men are mortal. In your current state, I give you no more than about another 50 years, assuming you get out of this desert alive, that is. Nate seemed vastly amused at his own humor and continued his wider grin. As for the fourth question, Nate said, looking more serious as far as Jack could tell, as Jack was now just working on his ability to read talking snake emotions from snake facial features. First, you have to agree to make a second request and become bound by the secrecy, or I can't tell you. Wait, isn't this where you say you could tell me, but you'd have to kill me? I thought that was implied. Nate continued to look seriously. Um, yeah, Jack leaned back a little as he remembered again that he was talking to a 15-foot poisonous snake. Reptile with a reputation for having nasty temper. So, what is this bound by secrecy stuff? And can you really stop the effects of the methanol? Jack thought for a second. And what do you mean, methanol, anyway? I thought these days they use ethanol and wiper fluid and just denature it. They may. I really don't know. I haven't gotten out in a while. Maybe they do. All I know is that I smell methanol in your breath and on that bottle in your pocket. 
and the blue color of the liquid, and when you pulled it out to drink some, let me guess that it was wiper fluid. I assume they still color wiper fluid blue. Yeah, they do, said Jack. I figured, replied Nate. As for being bound by secrecy with the fulfillment of your next request, you'll be bound to say nothing about me, this place, or any of the information I will tell you after that. When you decide to go back out to your kind, you won't be allowed to talk about me, write about me, use sign language, charades, or even act in a way that will leave someone to guess correctly about me. You'll be bound by secrecy, of course. I'll also ask you to promise not to give me away, and as I'm guessing that you're a man of your word, you'll never test the dining anyway, so you won't notice. Nate said the last part with utter confidence. Jack, who had always prided himself on being a man of his word, felt a little nervous at this. Um, hey, Nate, who are you? How did you know that? Are you um, omniscient or something? Well, Jack, then Nate said, Look, I can't tell you that unless you make the second request. Nate looked away for a minute, then looked back. Um, well, okay, said Jack. What is this about a second request? What can I ask for? Are you allowed to tell me that? Sure, said Nate, brightening. You're allowed to ask for changes. Changes to yourself. They're like a little like wishes, but they can only affect you. Oh, and before you ask, I can't give you immortality or omniscience or omnipresence for that matter. Though I might be able to make you gaseous and yet remain alive, and then you can spread through the atmosphere and sort of be omnipresent. But what good would that be? You still wouldn't be omniscient and thus still could only focus on one thing at a time. Not very useful, at least in my opinion. Nate stopped when he realized that Jack was staring at me. Well, anyway, continued Nate, I'd probably suggest giving you permanent good health. It would negate the methanol now in your system. You'd be immune to most poisons and diseases, and you tend to live a very long time, barring accident, of course, and you'll even have a tendency to recover from accidents as well. It always seemed like a good choice for a request to make. Cure the methanol poison, huh, said Jack, and keep me healthy for a long time? Hmm. It doesn't sound bad at that. And it has to be a request about a change to me. I can't ask to be rich, right? Because that's not really a change to me. Right, not at me. Could I ask to be a genius and permanently healthy? Jack said, hopefully. That takes two requests, Jack. Yeah, I figured so, said Jack. But I could. But I could ask to be a genius. I could become the smartest scientist in the world or the best athlete. Well, I can make you very smart, but that wouldn't necessarily make you the best scientist in the world. Or I can make you very athletic, but wouldn't necessarily make you the best athlete either. You've heard the saying that 99% of genius is hard work. Well, there's some truth to that. I can give you the talent, but I can't make you work hard. It all depends on what you decide to do with it. Hmm, said I. Okay, I think I understand. And I get a third request after this one? Maybe. It depends on what you decide then. There are more rules for the third request that I can only tell you about after the second request. You know how it goes. Nate looked like he'd shrug if he'd had children. Okay, well, since I'd rather not be blind in a day or two, and permanent health doesn't sound bad, they consider that my second request. Officially, do I need to sign blood or something? No, said Nate. Just hold out your hand or heel or whatever part you want to bite. I have to bite you again. Like I said, that's how it works. The poison. Nate said apologetically. Jack winced a little further and felt his shoulder where the last bite was. Hey, it didn't hurt anymore. Just like Nate said, that made Jack feel better about the biting business. But still, standing still while a 15-foot snake sunk its fangs into you, Jack stood up, annoying how good it felt to be able to stand again, and the hunger started to grow in his stomach. Jack tried to decide where he wanted to get bit. Despite knowing that it wouldn't hurt for long, Jack knew this wasn't going to be easy. Hey, Jack, Nate suddenly said, looking past Jack towards the dune behind him. Is that someone else coming up over there? Jack spun around and looked. Who else could be out here in the middle of nowhere? And did they bring food? Wait a minute. There was nobody over there. What was Nate? Jack let out a bellow as he felt two fangs sink into his rear end. Through his jeans, Jack sat down carefully, favoring his tender buttock. I would have decided eventually, Nate, I was just thinking about it. You didn't have to hoodwink me like that. I've been doing this a long time, Jack, said Nate confidently. You humans have a hard time sitting still and letting a snake bite you, especially one my size. And besides, admit it, it's only been a couple of minutes, and it already doesn't hurt anymore, does it? 
That's because of the health benefit with this one. I told you that you'd heal quickly now. Yeah, well, still, said Jack. It's the principle of the thing, and nobody likes being bitten in the butt. Couldn't you have gotten my calf or something instead? More than a typical human butt, replied Nate, unless chance you accidentally kick me or move at the last second. Yeah, right. So tell me all these wonderful secrets now that I that I now qualify to hear, answered Jack. Okay, said Nate. Do you want to ask questions first, or you want me to just start talking? Just talk, said Jack. I'll sit here and try not to think about food. We could try to go rustle up some food for you first, if you like, answered Nate. Hey, you didn't tell me you had food around here, Nate, Jack jumped up. What do we have? Am I in walking distance to town, or can you magically whip up food along with your other powers? Jack was almost shouting with excitement. His stomach had been growling for hours. I was thinking more like I could flush something out of this hole and bite it for you, and you could skin it and eat it. Assuming you have a knife, that is, replied Nate, with the grin Jack was starting to get used to. Uh, said Jack, sitting back down. I think I'll pass. I can last a little longer before I get desperate enough to eat desert rats or whatever it else it is you find out here. And there's nothing to burn. I'd have to eat it raw. No thanks. Just talk. Okay, replied Nate, still grinning, but I'd better hurry before you start looking me as food. Jack, re Nate reared back a little, looking for a second, and then continued. You, Jack, are in the middle of the Garden of Eden. Jack looked around at the sand dunes and then looked back at Nate skeptically. Well, that's the best I can figure anyway, Jack. Stand up and look at the symbol on the rock over there. Nate gestured around the dark stone they were both sitting on with his nose. Jack stood up and looked. Carved into the stone in a base relief was a representation of a large tree. The angle pole that Nate was wrapped around was coming out of the trunk of the tree. Right below where the main branches left the truck to reach out across the stone. It was very well done. It looked more like a tree had been reduced to almost two dimensions and embedded into the stone than it was carbon. Jack walked around and looked at the details in the fading light of the setting sun. He wished he looked at it while the sun was higher in the sky. Wait, the sun was setting. That means he was going to have to spend another night out here. Jack looked out across the desert for a little bit and then came back and stood next to Nate. In all the excitement, I almost forgot Nate. Which way is it back to town? And how far? I'm eventually going to have to head back. I'm not sure I'll be able to survive by eating raw desert critters for long. And even if I can, I'm not sure I want to. It's about 30 miles that way, Nate pointed with a rattle on his tail this time. As far as Jack could tell, it was a direction at right angles to the way he'd been going when he was crawling here. But that's 30 miles by the way the crow flies. It's about 40 by the way the man walks. You should be able to do it in about half a day with your improving journeys. If you head out early tomorrow, Jack. Jack looked out the way the snake had pointed for a few seconds more and then sat back down. It was getting dark. Not much he could do about heading out right now. And besides, Nate was just getting about to get to the interesting stuff. Garden of Eden, as best you can figure it? Well, yeah, as best as Samuel could figure it anyway. He figured that the story just got a little mixed up. You know, snake in a tree, offering temptations, making bargains, that kind of stuff. But he could never quite figure out how the Hebrews found out about the spot from across the ocean. He worried about that for a while. Garden of Eden, huh? How long have you been here, Nate? No idea, really, Nate replied Nate. A long time. It never occurred to me to count years until recently, and by then, of course, it was too late. But I do remember that when this whole place was green, so I figured it's been thousands of years at least. So, are you the snake that tempted Eve, said Jack? Beats me. Maybe. I can't remember the first one of your kind that I talked to was female or not. And I never got a name, but I could have been. And I suppose she could have considered my offer request a temptation, though I've rarely had refusals. Well, um, how did you get here then? And why is that white pole stuck in out of the stone there? asked Jack. Dad left me here, or I assume it was my dad. It was another snake, much bigger than I was back then. I remember talking to him, but I don't remember if it was a language or just a kind of understanding what he wanted. But one day, he brought me to the stone, told me about it, and asked me to do something for him. I've talked it over with him for a while and then agreed. I've been here ever since. 
what is this place said Jack and what did he do ask you to do well you see this pole here sticking out of the sun Nate loosened his coil around the tilted white pole and showed Jack where it descended into the stone the pole was tilted at about 45 degree angle and seemed to enter the stone in an 18 inch slot cut into the stone Jack leaned over and looked the slot was dark, and the pole went down to it as far as Jack could see in the dim light. Jack reached out to touch the pole, but Nate was suddenly there in the way. You can't touch that yet, Jack, said Nate. Why not, asked Jack. I haven't explained it to you yet, replied Nate. Well, it kind of looks like a lever or something. You push it that way, and it moves the slot. Yep, that's just what it is, replied Nate. What does it do in the world? Oh, no, nothing that drastic. It just ends its humanity. I call it the lever of doom. For the last few words, Nate used a deeper, ringing voice. He tried to look serious for a few seconds, and then gave up and grinned. Jack was initially startled by Nate's pronouncement, but when Nate grinned, Jack laughed. Ha, you almost had me fooled for a second time. What does it really do? Oh, it really ends humanity, like I said. I just thought the voice I used was funny, didn't you? Nate continued to grin. The lever to end humanity, asked Jack. What in the world is that for? Why would anyone need to end humanity? Well, replied Nate, I get the idea that maybe humanity was an experiment. Or maybe the big guy just thought that if humanity started going really bad, there should be a way to end it. I'm not really sure. All I know are the rules. And I guess that Samuel, and the guesses that Samuel and I had about why it's here. I didn't think to ask back when I started here. Rules? What rules? asked Jack. The rules are that I can't tell anyone about it or let them touch it unless they agree to be bound by, to secrecy by a bite. And that only one human can be bound in that way at a time. That's it, explained Nate. Jack looked someone shot. You mean I could pull this lever now? You'd let me in humanity? Yep, replied Nate, if you want to. Nate looked at Jack carefully. Do you want to, Jack? Um, no, said Jack, stepping a little further back from the lever. Why in the world would anyone want to end humanity? It'd take a psychotic to want that, or worse, a suicidal psychotic, because it would kill him too, wouldn't it? Yep, being as he'd be human too. Has anyone seriously considered it? any of those bound by secrecy that is? Well, of course, I think they've all considered, seriously considered it at one time or another, being that given that kind of responsibility makes you sit down and think, or so I'm told. Samuel considered it several times, He'd often discuss it with humanity, come out here and just hold the lever for a while, but he never pulled it, or you wouldn't be here, Nate grinned. Jack sat down, well back from the lever, he looked thoughtful and puzzled at the same time. After a bit, he said, so this makes me the judge of humanity? I get to decide where, whether they keep going or just end? Me? That seems to be it, agreed Nate. What kind of criteria do I use to decide, and how do I make this decision? Am I supposed to decide if they're good, or too many of them are bad, or that they're going the wrong way? Is there a set of rules for that? Nope. Replied Nate, you pretty much have to decide on your own. It's up to you, however you want to decide it. I guess you're just supposed to know. But what if I get mad at someone, or some girl dumps me and I feel horrible? Couldn't I make a mistake? How do I know that I won't screw up, protested Jack. Nate gave his kind of snake-like shrug again. You don't. You just have to try to your best, Jack. Jack sat there for a while, staring off into the desert that was getting rapidly dark, chewing on a fingernail. Suddenly, Jack turned around and looked at Nate. Nate, was Samuel the one bound to this before me? Yep, replied Nate. He was a good guy. Talked to me a lot, taught me to read, and brought me books. I think I still have a good pile of them buried in the sand around here somewhere. I still miss him. He died a few months ago. Sounds like a good guy, agreed Jack. How did he handle this? when you first told him what he did. Well, he sat down for a while, thought about it for a bit, and then asked me some questions, much like you're doing. What did he ask you, if you're allowed to tell me? He asked me about the third request. Aha, uh -huh, it was Jack's turn to him. And what did you tell him? I told him the rules for the third request. That to get the third request, you have to agree to this whole thing. That if it ever comes to the point that you really think that humanity should be ended, that you'll come up here and end it. You won't avoid it and you won't win out. Nate looked serious again. And you'll be bound to do it too, Jack. Hmm. Jack looked back into the darkness for a while. 
Nate watched and waited. Nate continued Jack quietly, evenly, what the Samuel asked for with his third request. Nate sounded like he was grinning again as he replied also quietly. Wisdom, Jack. He asked for wisdom, as much as I could give him. Okay, said Jack, suddenly standing up and facing away from Nate. Give it to me. Nate looked at Jack's backside. Give you what, Jack? Give me that wisdom. Same stuff that Sam asked for. If it helps him, maybe it will help me too. Jack turned his head to look back over his shoulder at Nate. It did help him, right? He said it did, replied Nate, but he seemed a little quieter afterward, like he had a lot to think about. Yeah, well, I can see that, so give it to me. Jack turned the face away from Nate again. Nate watched Jack tense up with a little exasperation. If he bit Jack now, Jack would likely jump out of his skin and maybe hurt them both. You remember that you'll be bound to destroy humanity that looks like it needs it, right, Jack? Yeah, yeah, I got that. And, continued Nate, do you remember that you'll turn bright purple and grow big horns and extra eyes? Yeah, yeah. Hey, wait a minute, Jack said, opening his eyes, straightening up and turning around. Purple? He didn't see Nate there. With the moonlight, Jack sees the lever extended up from a slot in the rock without the snake wrapped around it. Jack heard from behind and Nate's just kidding right before he felt the now familiar piercing pain, this time in the other buttocks. Jack sat on the edge of the dark stone in the rapidly cooling air. His feet extended out in the sand. He stared out into the darkness, listening to the wind stir the sand, occasionally rubbing his butt where he'd recently been bitten. Nate had left for a while, had come back with a desert-shaped rodent bulb somewhere in the middle, and was now wrapped back around the lever, his tongue flicking out into the desert's night air, the only sign that he was still awake. Occasionally, Jack would ask Nate a question without turning around. Nate, do accidents count? What do you mean, Jack? You know accidents. If I accidentally fall on the lever without meaning to, does it still wipe out humanity? Yeah, I'm pretty sure it does, Jack. I suggest you be careful with that if you start feeling wobbly. Does it have to be me that pulls the lever? That's the rule, Jack. Nobody else can do it. No. I mean, does it have to be my hand? Could I pull the lever with a rope tied around it or push it with a stick or throw a rock? Yes, those should work, though I'm not sure how complicated you could get. Samuel thought about trying to build some kind of remote control for it once, but gave it up. It was going to build would be gone on the next sunrise if it was touching the stone or over. I told him that the past others had been bound, had tried to bury the levers that it wouldn't be tempted to pull it. Every time the stones or sand or whatever had disappeared. Wow. Cool. Nate, how long did Samuel live? One of his wishes for, was for help, too, right? Yes, it was. He lived 167 years, Jack. Wow, 167 years. That's almost 140 more years I'll live if I live that long. Do you know what he died of, Nate? He died of getting tired of living, Jack. Samuel knew he wasn't going to be able to stay in society. He figured that they'd eventually still see him and start questioning him. So he decided he had had to disappear after a while. He faked his death once but changed his mind. He decided it was too early and he could stay for a little longer. He wasn't very fond of mankind, but he liked the attention most of the time anyway. His daughter and then his wife dying almost did him in, though. He couldn't stay in society much longer after that. He eventually came out here spend time talking to me and thinking about pulling the lever. A few months ago, he told me he had enough. It was his time. And then he died. He made his fourth request, Jack. There's only one thing you can ask for for the fourth request, the last bite. He told me that he was tired, that it was his time. He reassured me that someone new would show up, like they always have. Samuel's body disappeared off the stone with the sunrise. Jack woke with the sunrise the next morning. He was a little chilled with the morning desert air, but overall was feeling pretty good. Well, except that his stomach was rumbling and he wasn't willing to eat raw desert rats. So after getting directions in town from Nate, making sure he knew how to get back, and reassuring Nate that he'd be back soon, Jack started the walk, long walk back to town. Jack called a bus back to the city and showed up for work the next day, a little worse of the wear, and with the story about getting lost in the desert and walking back out. Within a couple of days, Jack had talked with a friend with a tow truck and going back out in the desert with him to fetch the SUV. 
They found it after a couple of hours of searching and towed it back without incident. Jack was careful not to even look in the direction of Nate's lever, though their path back wouldn't come within sight of it. Before the next weekend, Jack had gone to a couple of stores and gotten his SUV back from the mechanic with a warning to afford any more joyriding in the desert. On Saturday, Jack headed back to see Nate. Jack parked a little way out of small town near Nate, loaded up his new backpack, and brought Nate the supplies, recent books, magazines, newspapers, and then he brought him a laptop, a specially modified laptop that had solar recharger, special filters and fields to keep out the sand, a satellite link up, and special keyboard joystick that helped Jack hope for a 15-foot rattlesnake would be able to use. And he had, it had been hacked not to give out its location to the satellite. After that, Jack could email Nate to keep in touch, still visiting fairly regularly, at least once or twice a year. Eventually, Jack started writing, perhaps because of the wisdom or perhaps because of his new perspective. He wrote well. People liked what he wrote. He became well-known for it. After a time, Jack bought an RV and started traveling around the country for book signing and reading, but he still visited Nate regularly. One of the visits, Nate seemed quieter than usual. Nate thought, Jack thought that Nate was missing Samuels. Jack... Nate said, I have someone introduced me to. I want you to meet my son. He looked over near his team. Sammy! Jack watched the four-foot-long desert rattlesnake crawl from behind the dune up to the stone base of the ladder. Yo, Jack, said the new, much smaller snake. Yo, Sammy, named after Samuel, I assume. Jack, I've got a favor to ask you. Could you show Sammy around for me? When Samuel first told me about the world and brought me books and pictures, I wish I could go see it. I wanted to see the great forest, the canyons, the city, even the deserts to see if they felt and smelled the same. I want my son to have that chance to see the world before it becomes bound here like I have been. Think you can do that for me, Jack? Yeah, I can do that for you, Nate. Is that all you need? So, Jack took Sammy with him. And they visited all over the world. And then the time came that Jack got an email from Nate that they had to go back. Jack told Sammy to email Nate that they were coming as they drove out of sight of the desert town on the road. Then he pulled off the road and headed out to the desert. Everything went well until they got to the sand dune. Jack had been nursing the RV around the whole time over the rocks. And then it went out of control. Jack steered more frantically, trying to get traction. It still wasn't working. Then they got to the bottom of the dune. The RV was headed straight for the lever. Jack felt an instant of realization. He was either going to have to hit the lever or run over Nate. Glanced over at Sammy and saw that Sammy realized the same thing. Jack took a firmer grip on the steering wheel as the RV ran up to the stone, shouting to Sammy to pull the steering wheel over. Better Nate than lever. And he ran over the snake. Wow. Well, we got through that. It was a lot longer than I thought it was going to be. But that is the ultimate shaggy dog story. A uh, quick salute to those who've passed. Gary David Goldberg, 68, American Emmy-winning television screenwriter and director. Richard Matheson, 87, American author and screenwriter. Bobby Blaine, 83, American Blues and Soul Center. Inducting to Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. Jackie Fargo, 82, American Professional Wrestler. Matt Osborne, 55, American Professional Wrestler. Jim Nader, 59, American Radio Producer and Personality. Sammy Terry, 83, American Television Show Host. Paul Duke, 74, American Actor. I'm going to skip everything else and get to the main story in the last few minutes that we have. I call it thrown in the mix and tossed out like that guy and John Denver. We'll take you back now to October 2001. It was a cool Friday afternoon and my fiance and I were headed to dinner at a restaurant. We were stopped in a lane and 
waiting with our current picture on down here. We get out and there's a young lady who has hit us. He called the cops and the cops urged the trainer and I to go to the hospital. We go to the hospital and we're separated. We were both okay, but we were banged up. We were in better uh, shape than her car, which had to be repaired. While it was being repaired, she got a loaner car. And one time, one weekend night, when I had to work my security job, I drove the loaner car. Driving it back, I put in a CD, and the CD was a John Denver song. Now, I've always liked John Denver, and I particularly like one song on the CD called Looking for Space. And I play it, and then turn off the car, and get in my car, and head home. I forgot the CD in the car. I'm always forgetting stuff. I'm forgetful. In my inattention of concentrating, something I've always tried to work on. And something I've always had possible. Keeping focus. Focusing on my on just one thing at a time. Over ten years before I still had this problem. I was beginning the eighth grade, and to help myself concentrate on one thing at a time, in the afternoons I started to build a model boat, and I built that boat using an old wood block I found in my room. Full lock of fire around the house, working it into the shape of the boat, and by doing that, it helped me really get my mind focused on the things that were happening. You know, it's still around that time, the girls in the eighth grade, and you can see them, they explain themselves. Started ranking the guys in the eighth grade on the scale of the team. The girls would give each guy a number ranking from them. Had the numbers of the girls taking the ranking. Now, I knew whether I, I wasn't going to be that high. I've always been rogue here stuff like that. People are very shallow. They go by just superficial points. So, I knew I wasn't going to be that high. But I took some small amount of comfort, as small as you can, in the fact that. I wasn't going to be the bottom either. Because we all know that guy. You know what I mean? That guy who just repulses everybody without meaning to. You feel sorry for him. But you knew that he just wanted to be at the bottom. We had a bad guy in our class. Well, in the day of ranking, out and I accidentally saw that I had ranked. Now, 17 of the girls gave me no score at all. They gave me a zero, which is not what they said. Uh, they were told to give one to two. So, you put over 17 of them out. That left three people. Two girls gave me a paltry one. And Amy, the girl who came up with the survey, I don't know what I did to upset her that day, but I did something to upset her because she gave me a negative. You can't divide a zero and you can't divide a negative. So I was left with the lowest score. A negative eight. You know, when the last girl that I seriously dated, broke up with me. 
said it was her and that she didn't have time to date anybody and that it wasn't fair to me. But I've always been hard on myself. Flashbacks are really great. And that negative eight in the school. I was humiliated by my actions. That afternoon, I went home. Just like on the movie course, you know, when the old man tells stories, it's bad luck. Without a name. I mean, my boots didn't make any names. I carried that with me for a long time. And I honestly, I was thinking about it. When I went with to pick up that CD that had been left in the car. The woman at the rental car place that called her and told her that we left him. As I got out of the car to get the CD, I heard someone just scream my name in surprise and happiness. They said, oh my God, Joey Harris, I can't believe it's you. It was the woman coming out of the rental car place that had gotten my fiance the rental car and they called her about the TV. I looked up and the world was small indeed because of the baby. Ten years and many miles removed that negative ten four. It was like it hadn't happened at all. But you know, a part of me still thinks about that though. Thank you again for joining me this week. As always, you can contact me via Twitter. I'm at Harris, Facebook.com slash JoeyH37. JoeyHarrisComedy at gmail.com. Don't forget my other show that I do on the network, What's Trending Now on Fridays with Joey Stats and I. And check out all the shows on the network at GoRadioNetwork.com and Go Radio Network on Facebook. You can also follow them on Twitter at G-O-H-R-N. We just had a few few moments left here. Um, but I would just ask you all to listen to this live or later on this week. Remember me in your prayers and remember me in your thoughts. This is a huge week for me and my future. And I just want to be able to go out and get my life back together again. This week I'm taking a huge step towards that. So if you can just remember me and your thoughts and if you believe in prayer, remember me in your prayers. I would certainly appreciate it. Uh, the joke ended up running longer than I thought it was, but, you know, it's one of those things. But I'll be back here next week, and then we'll get things back on track with a shorter joke. And also, we'll bring back our Trailblazer segment as well as our recommendation of the week. So don't forget those. But that's it for me for tonight. So thank you always.
have a favorable time for joining me. Until next time, good night and God bless.